the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome once again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We gather like this every weekend right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, the word in Orlando. As usual, Alan Dempsey uh, does our engineering, does it superbly. Andrew Herdliska produces this show each weekend, and uh, Andy has produced Brent Crow right here in Orlando. Vice President of Student Leadership University, but we're going to talk about his new book, Moments Till Midnight. Hi, Brent. How are you? I'm great, Pat. Thanks for having me on, sir. Well, Brent, I must tell you, uh, I'm not sure I have ever seen a better cover on a book uh, yes, than the cover on this book. D- describe the book and the title and the subtitle. What, what's going on here? Well, there's a fascinating story behind that. Um behind the cover art, there's a, 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 a an artist in Nashville, Tennessee. The book is published with B&H, which is the uh, uh, publishing arm for trade books with Lifeway. Uh, and uh, so they hired an outside artist and gave him a budget to design the cover art. And the idea was to show an old Apostle Paul worn out by life's journey. Well, he took the budget, uh, the money, some of the monies that had been given him, and he actually hired a homeless man off the streets in downtown Nashville and did a photo shoot with him and then gave him a significant portion of the monies mm. that had been budgeted for the cover art. So he used that that money that he'd been given to, to bless someone who who, uh, who didn't have anything. And then uh, he took the photos from that photo shoot and he, he, uh, he painted the, the picture that you see before you that is the cover art for Moments Till Midnight. Where did your... Um real interest in the Apostle Paul came come from? Well, a few years ago, I had the incredible opportunity to go to Rome, Italy, and, and uh, I had taken a bunch of students, and we were retracing some of Paul's missionary journeys and doing a couple other highlights in church history. But we got to go to Rome, and we got to go down into the dungeon where he was held uh, and it would be his last incarceration. It would be out of this dungeon that he would write Second Timothy, uh, the last letter that he ever wrote, and then he would be uh, have his life taken from him. Most likely he was beheaded. And so I was in that dungeon where he had written Second Timothy, and goodness, I just started thinking about, obviously I knew who Paul was as a Christian, and read his writings in the Scriptures, and, and, and he had blessed me tremendously, but I, I have a hard time relating to a guy like Paul. I mean, he's an it's a giant when it comes to his intellectual ability, uh, he's an apostle. <laughs> uh, he wrote about half the New Testament. Uh, he led the movement of Christianity for 30 years that took it from a localized religion to a worldwide religion. So he is uh, someone that is just very, very difficult to relate to because of how significant he is. But as I was standing in that dungeon where he wrote Second Timothy, his last letter, I thought to myself, and, and this kind of started the journey, but I thought to myself, 
what if at the end of the day, Paul saw himself, yes, as all those things, church planner, missionary, leader, intellect, apostle, on and on he, he, we could go, but what if he also just simply saw himself as a pilgrim, as someone on a journey trying to make their way through this broken world to the heaven country? And what if he just wanted to finish well? Well, man, I can relate to that. I can relate to someone who sees themselves as a pilgrim. The book of Psalms, the writer of Psalms, you know, tells us that blessed is the man whose strength is in you, O Lord, and whose heart is set on pilgrimage. So I can I can see myself through that paradigm that maybe God has intended me to be a wanderer, to be a sojourner. And the, the, the goal of my life should be then to wander well. And what if that's what Paul was trying to do? What if he just wanted to wander well and finish well? And uh, so that's kind of where it all began and how it all started. Well, let's dive into the meat of the book. Uh, let's start with noon. Come, let us wander together. That's really the opening of your book. Explain that, Brent. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, the, the, there's been a lot of books written on the Apostle Paul, so why would we need one more, but there had, there's never been a book that looked at Paul as someone who was on a journey. So we begin the book by simply asking a question. What if the Apostle Paul had found out on the last day of his life that he was going to be executed at midnight? What if, let's just pretend, that one of those soldiers guarding him, and this is what the noon chapter does, it kind of paints this uh, this uh, uh, possible narrative, this creative exercise, if you will. But he goes, what if, what if the, one of those soldiers had converted to the faith? Not unusual. It had happened many times before. And, and maybe that soldier was joining the, the, the underground church in Rome, Italy at the time, which met in the catacomb, which is that underground, you know, those, those, those really underground tunnels that allowed people to meet in private and secret without being found out by the government. And what if uh, he had been meeting with his fellow brothers and sisters in prayer and worship? And what if he had said to Paul, maybe through a note, at noon, that tonight at midnight they're going to carry out your sentence, you will be executed? What would Paul at that point have begun to think about? How would he have reflected on his life the last 12 hours of his life? And so the noon chapter basically sets up um, this creative exercise of the mind that allows us to see Paul through the, the lens, the paradigm of pilgrimage. Now, uh, let's move to the next topic, Brent. One o'clock, only the sinner. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, it's, it's fascinating that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, uh, wrote more about grace than anything else that he wrote about. It's, it, you know, Paul, before he converted to Christianity in Acts chapter 9, was the message of his life was, all, was the law. It was all law all the time, right? And, and there was no room in his life for grace. Well, a life that is completely absent of grace will always lead to a tragic place. And so you have, you have Paul then converting in Acts chapter 9, and he converts and then spends the next 30-some-odd years serving the Lord. Well, the one word that he mentions more than any other word is the word grace. He mentions it over 100 times in 13 letters. 
And so it really became the theme of his journey. It became the theme of his life. And so um, the, the chapter, Only the Sinner, Paul, Paul never forgot that uh, he was he was the he was the worst of the worst. He was the chief of sinners. As a matter of fact, when he wrote that he was the chief of sinners, he wrote that towards the end of his life, not the beginning. That's when Paul said, "I'm the chief of sinners." That's not a Paul that just became a Christian. That's a Paul that's been a Christian for twenty, twenty five years. And so, it's amazing to me that Paul um, saw himself as simply a sinner who had been saved by grace and needed God's saving grace in the present moment and. And so that's what that uh, uh, that's what that chapter is about. The closer that the Apostle Paul got to the light of Jesus, the more dirt he saw in himself. In other words, the closer he got to Jesus, the more he realized he needed Jesus. And that's what that's what the one one o'clock chapter is about. Brent Crow, our guest, author of Moments Till Midnight. Uh, Brent, it's two o'clock. From potential to purpose, uh, what's up here? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well. Paul was certainly a man in in the way he was raised uh had a lot of potential. Uh, he was raised in Tarsus. He uh, uh his father had Roman citizenship at that time in history. If you wanted to go somewhere anywhere in the world, you had to have Roman citizenship. So because his father had Roman citizenship, Paul had Roman citizenship, which was his his passport to the world. Um he uh, had got to go to one of the greatest Greek universities in the world. Um, he could trace his lineage, his bloodline, back to the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, I mean, he was a guy that had a lot of potential. Had, uh, I mean, he was born on third base. <laughs> you know, it mm. was a, uh, it was a good, it was a good day for, for Paul to be born. Uh, but his life was just totally wrecked uh, on Act, on that Damascus Road in Acts chapter nine, and we see him shift from a person of a lot of potential to a person that was consumed with his purpose. And what I mean by that is, you know, I was always taught that, well, he's called Saul before his conversion to Christianity, and he's referred to as Paul after his conversion to Christianity. Well, that's not true. He's actually called Saul after he converts to Christianity several times. But the last time he's called Saul in Scripture and the first time in which he is, or and then he's called Paul forevermore in the, for the rest of the time that we see him in Scripture, is when he is setting sail on his first missionary journey. Now, Paul would go, of course, on three missionary journeys, 10,000 miles. But from that moment on, he is called Paul. My guest is Brent Crow, and we're talking about his new book, Moments Till Midnight. More with Brent right after these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. My guest is Brent Crow. Uh, he's written the, the definitive work on the Apostle Paul. How's that sound, Brent? <laughs> might be a little too flattering, but I'll take it. And uh, we've now arrived at 3 o'clock. Luke alone is with me. Uh, what's up? Yes, sir. Well, there's that wonderful little phrase at the end of Second Timothy that we see, where Paul mentions that a lot of people have left him, some have abandoned him, and um, he said that Luke alone is with me. Luke, of course, was a doctor, so Luke would have offered him medical attention as needed, but Luke, more importantly, was his friend. And so it's a chapter on, on friendship. It's a chapter that um, looks at the notion of friendship 
to the eyes of the Apostle Paul and his many of his writings. But uh, um, you know, the, the end goal there is to say that uh, when we understand friendship, we become both doctors and patients of each other's souls. And so that's that's uh, that's three o'clock. Now, Brent, we're going to move to four o'clock. Head in the clouds. Yes, sir. Explain it. Yes, sir. Well, at four o'clock, we pretend that Paul's uh, thoughts would have shifted to the fact that he had his feet firmly planted on the ground, um, but he embraced a heavenly mindset. Um, he wanted to see the desired will of God. God desires fulfilled through his pilgrimage, through his journey. And so Head in the Clouds is a chapter that is dedicated to um, what it looks like to embrace a heavenly mindset, to embrace the realities of heaven as I journey through this world. Brent, let's uh, take one more step to five o'clock, getting dressed with grace. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Getting dressed with grace. Well, in Colossians chapter 3, you know, the Apostle Paul does just this phenomenal job of outlining, once you have embraced the realities of heaven uh, with your life, then then you, you literally put on, as people who are holy and beloved, you put on what I refer to in the book as as the wardrobe of grace. He writes, as God's, cho- as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, we put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has complained against you, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. And above all these things, put on love. So that chapter really breaks down those different aspects to what a follower of Jesus, someone who is a pilgrim journeying through this world towards the heaven country, what they put on, what characterizes them, what defines them as someone who is on a journey. And and that's what Paul is articulating for us there in Colossians chapter 3. We've arrived at 6 o'clock, Brent, from tolerance to togetherness. Well, we live in a world in which tolerant and tolerance is a buzzword, right? It's, it, uh, it's one of those words that uh, if you watch any cable news show program for longer than five minutes, you might hear that word come up. And so we live in a world um, that is uh, uh, crying for tolerance, that we should continually and forever tolerate one another in all of our um, inclinations and persuasions and perspectives, and the list could go on and on. But Paul's view of things um, was was much different. He goes, I, I, as followers of Jesus, as people who are on a journey towards heaven, we are one people, right? And so he said his idea, his goal was not that we would simply put up with one another in the journey. Uh, he said it's better than that. <laughs> we get to we get to be together, and so it's it's a beautiful picture that church is uh, is not about tolerance. That the the body of believers that is the local church and the church worldwide is not about tolerating one another, not about tolerating each other as Christians, tolerating each other as churches. No, but it's about togetherness. The that we the Church of Jesus Christ is an unstoppable force, and it is the hope of the world. And the reason that it, it is that is because we are one in Christ Jesus. And 
So Paul really emphasized that throughout his writings and saw togetherness, oneness, as uh, one of the most beautiful aspects of the Church. Seven o'clock, the spirit of Alice and of Paul. Explain that one. (laughs) Yes, sir. Well, uh, you know, obviously Alice in Wonderland is one of those great Disney uh, classics, if you will. But you know, Alice in Wonderland in the original in the original book, I, I love I love in Lewis Carroll's original book he said he wrote at one point the white he had the white queen say this. He said that when I was your age, she's talking to Alice, when I was your age, I always did for half an hour a day. Sometimes I believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. And I think we've we've just gotten to a place where we we uh we no longer believe uh, in the impossible, we no longer imagine what could be, Pat, because we're so captivated by what is in the moment. And Paul was not someone who was only focused on solving the present problem at hand, but uh, Paul was someone who used the gift of imagination uh, to creatively fulfill the purpose that God had placed on his life. And really, that chapter is dedicated towards the fact that we've all been given. It's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. We've all been given the gift of creativity and imagination. And so that chapter really frames this question, and Paul answered it with his journey. What would you do for the glory of God if you knew that you would not fail? Paul had answered that question with his journey, and I believe that we should answer it with ours. Brent Crow is our guest, and Brent, uh, I want you to talk about 8 o'clock, the art of conversation. <laughs> Yes, sir. Well, um, you know, Paul is uh, a guy that lived and, and died and left one of the biggest impacts any human being has ever had in history. But the only reason we know about him is because he wrote things down. So he had the ability to communicate through the written word. And in many ways, that is a, uh, a lost art in the day and the age in which we live. We live in a day and an age of of sound bites and social media. We communicate through GIFs and, and bullet points. And so we've, we've largely lost the ability uh, in, 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 in many sectors, and, I, and I, li- I work with students, so I see this all the time, to be able to communicate an idea creatively and critically. And we've lost the ability to then think critically about those ideas and break them down and study them and hit them from a couple different angles and ask what would make them better. So, so Paul, we you know wrote a lot of stuff. We have thirteen letters from him in the New Testament. So, basically, this is a a chapter dedicated to the principles of of healthy communication. And I know that may sound like a a weird topic to include in a book like this, but it seemed to be very important to Paul. I mean, if he's at the end of his life and he's looking back on his journey, man, he was pretty grateful that he could communicate to so many churches, to so many people, to the ability of writing those letters, the art of longhand conversation. It's now 9 o'clock. Grace <clears throat> demands more, you tell us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, you know, the Apostle Paul was a was a, a journey, a story, if you will, a narrative that um, demonstrates to us uh, a standard of excellence. There's, there's no doubt about it that when you look at Paul's life, uh, he lived a life of excellence. Excellence uh, was a subject that just simply rose to the surface of his life over and over again. 
And so when we understand grace properly, uh, we realize that it doesn't expect less of us. When you have the grace of Jesus in your life, it doesn't mean that you just get to be passive. Uh, no, grace causes us to rise above. It causes us to rise to a standard of excellence. The grace of Jesus in my life uh, uh, means that I am unable to be unresponsive. I can't be passive anymore. And so grace demands more of my life, nevertheless. And we see that in Paul's journey. We see this enduring standard of excellence. Grace demands more. Ten o'clock. Sanctifying failure and redeemed regret. Uh, what's all that mean, Brent? Yes, sir. Well, there, there. Paul wrestled with 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 aloneness. He wrestled with um, whether or not there were some mistakes that had been made in his life at times. He wrestled through, um, um, obviously, a lot of trials and persecution and, and a lot of physical things and a lot of emotional things. Right, but but. Um, so how should we, as as people who are journeying through this broken world, how should we view failure? Well, there's a type of failure that fails to please God, and that's um, that's uh, that's sin, right? There's there's no other way around that. That's disobedience. That's rebellion. But there's there's a type of failure uh, that sanctifies us and satisfies God, and that is that when we when we strive to do things with excellence and to honor Jesus. But maybe it doesn't work out the way we thought we w- it would, and every parent knows what that feels like. Then it that, that's I don't think that's a failure that displeases God. God's not in heaven going well. You you know you tried to go share your faith with that person and it didn't turn out the way you thought it would. So so I'm just upset with you. Know I think there's a type of failure that uh, that can actually build us up uh, and actually does satisfy the Lord. And so. Um, we talk a little bit about in that chapter about the different types of failure, and then we talk about how regret should not imprison us, um, but that God can can take those regrets. He doesn't erase history, um, but He certainly can heal our past, and He can take those regrets and redeem them, and they can serve as reminders of how we want to live and the mistakes we never want to make again in our journey. And so we look through Paul's life and journey at the role of failure and the role of regret in in uh, in our modern day journey, if you will. Brent, it's eleven o'clock now. Life imitates story. I- explain. Yes, yes, sir. Well, you know there was that great quote all those years ago that uh, life imitates art, um, and and I. I you know, I, as much as is, is that become a very popular quote, I think it was Oscar Wilde that said it. it the reality is that, that our lives don't imitate art; they imitate a narrative, they imitate a story. And so, when Paul is writing his final thoughts before leaving his earth, or before leaving Earth, Second Timothy, who is he writing to? He's writing to Timothy. He could have wrote. He could have written. Excuse me to. Uh, uh, all the churches he had ever ministered to. He could have written to just a network of churches. He could have written to pastors. He could have written to a series of church leaders. But no, he chose to write to a young man uh, who he had met when that young man was probably a teenager. That young man did not have a strong father figure. Of course, we're talking about Timothy. And he wrote to him because he wanted to encourage one person in the journey before his life was taken from him. And so, 
Timothy would have received this letter. Now, we don't oftentimes think about this, but who would have given that letter to Timothy? Well, it would have been Luke. <laughs> Luke was the only one that was with Paul at the end of his life. And so, uh, 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 Tim, uh, excuse me, Luke, I, probably with tears in his eyes, delivered a tear-stained letter to Paul's son in the ministry. And at that moment, you know, you, you, you have Timothy reading through this letter that we now read as 2 Timothy, and there it is it is uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Timothy would have said, Man, I, Paul is a narrative, is a story that I can imitate. So the great question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we telling the type of stories that are imitatable with our lives? Are we journeying through this world in such a way that we're showing other people how to journey well. Can someone look at our journey, Pat, and say, oh, wow, that's the direction that I should take with the journey of my life. And so life doesn't imitate art. Life imitates story. Life imitates this journey that makes up a story. And that's what 11 o'clock is all about. Well, Brent, we've arrived at midnight. Finished. Dot, 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 dot. Begin. Mm, Yes, sir. Tell us about midnight. Well, you know, midnight is where we say, you know, the 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 bell strikes or the, the 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 alarm clock goes off or whatever you want to call it. But Paul knew his life was now coming to an end. Um, he was going to be taken out of that dungeon. That was a dungeon, so he would have, a rope would have been lowered down. He would have been pulled out. The Roman soldiers would have taken him probably two or three hundred yards from where the dungeon was, what we know in history, to a place where they executed people. And uh, they probably would have stripped him of his clothes. Unfortunately, they probably would have beat him one last time for no other reason than they could. And then they would uh, they would uh, take his life from him. One one swift swing of a sword and a well trained hand um, would have taken Paul's life. But they wouldn't have taken Paul's purpose away from him. And he knew in that moment that he was going to experience Jesus in a different way. The, the, the great historian John Pollock said it this way, no executioner was going to loose him, talking of Paul, the conscious presence of Jesus. He was not changing company, only the place where he enjoyed it. Brent Crow has and, been our guest. We've got more after this. On the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour... This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. Brent Crow, our guest, right here in Orlando, talking about his book, Moments Till Midnight. Uh, Holly Girth joins us from Fayetteville, Arkansas, best-selling author, certified life coach, speaker. We're going to talk about her book, Hope Your Heart Needs, 52 Encouraging Reminders of How God Cares for You. Holly, nice to chat with you. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, What's the background of this book? This is a book that actually started in my journal. I titled it The Love Project, and I started looking into a name of God every day, and I found that doing that helped me have less stress, more peace, less hurry, more hope, and I thought, I want other people to know this, too. Well, you open your book, and there are 52 little chapters. Uh, uh, We'll see what we can cover here. You open uh, with this topic, beginning and end. Uh, Explain that one. 
Yes, I wrote about how God is our beginning and our end and everything in between. And today, wherever we are in our story, whether we're at the beginning, whether we're going through a hard ending, it's reassuring to know that God is there in the middle of it, that He spoke this world into being, that He will be the one who ushers it out and us into eternity. And I think in our world where so much changes, it's reassuring to know that God is the one who gets the first word in our stories and the final word in our story. Second topic, simply called author. Yes, that ties right into what I was saying, that we can also know that in between that beginning and end, God is the one holding the pen of our lives. There's a verse in Hebrews who talks about how He is the author of our faith. And I'm someone who likes to be in control. I want to grab that pen and edit my story. (laughs) But deep down, even more, I want to know that someone bigger and wiser and good is the one who's actually in control. And so we can trust that today, that God is the author of our lives, and He is going to work all things together for good for us. Number three, bread of life. Yeah, and in the middle of our stories, when we have needs come up, You know, we can be reassured that God is a provider of our needs, that He says, I am your bread of life. And I think that means that He is the one who satisfies our souls. Again, I can look around at this world and think, oh, this will satisfy, you know, if I have that latest thing, or if I go on this vacation, or if I can just live up to what it looks like everyone else is doing on social media. But God says, you know what? I am your bread of life. I am the one who will fill the hunger of your heart. And even better than that, I invite you to come to me to be filled. And so I think that is a big relief for us, that we don't have to strive. We don't have to search for something to fill us. We can go to God and say, you be the one who fills my heart. Now, I want you to explain this one, Holly, Bright Morning Star. Oh, this is one of my very favorites, because it helped me learn something about God that I didn't know before. So one of his names is Bright Morning Star, which actually is another name for the planet Venus. And the really unique thing about the planet Venus is that it rises in the darkest part of the night, just before dawn. So when God says, I am the bright and morning star, he is saying, I will be the light that comes into the darkest parts of your life. God is not afraid of our dark. He is not afraid of our struggles. He is not afraid of our secrets. He is not afraid of our tragedies. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to come into that place and dawn is coming. Even the darkest night will give way to dawn. So I never knew that before, and now whenever I look at the stars, I think about it differently, that God has said, I'm your bright and morning star, and I will come into the darkest part of the night of your life, and I will be the light you need. The next word uh, is counselor. Yes, I think we all need wisdom today, and I'm a big, I am a licensed counselor. I'm a big fan of going to counselors. But I love that God also calls himself our counselor. And I learned when I was seeing clients that one of the biggest parts of being an effective counselor is to be relentlessly for the people who come to you for help. And I think in our hard times, we can picture God being disappointed or 
mad or saying, you know, clean yourself up or get your act together and then come to me for help. But no, as a counselor, he's saying, come to me in the middle of your mess and I will be for you. I will come alongside you. I will speak encouragement and truth to you. I will help you overcome whatever you are facing so that you get to the other side of it and experience victory. That was my heart and passion as a counselor for my clients, and I think it's God's heart and passion for us. So wherever someone who's listening is today, I think they can pause and say, God, I will come to you right now as I am and trust and believe that you will be my counselor. You will walk me through this to the other side. Now, uh, Creator is uh, on board here. Go ahead. Yeah, we live in a world that continually amazes me. You know, I moved to a new house earlier in the year, and we have a pond behind us, and there are all kinds of creatures in it, frogs and turtles, and, you know, I love looking at creation, but I think it's amazing to remember, too, that God is our Creator, that when we feel insecure, when we hear lies like, I'm not enough, or I need to be more like someone else, or... There's something, you know, wrong with me that God can't use me. Those are all lies. As the psalmist said, I praise you because I am made in an amazing and wonderful way. And so when we remember that God is our creator, then we can also remember that we have everything we need to fulfill his purpose and plan for our lives. Now, we don't have everything we need to fulfill someone else's purpose and plan, that we think we should be living, but when it comes to who God created us to be, we have everything we need today, and we don't have to compare ourselves to anyone else because He doesn't compare us to anyone else. So I think that remembering that we are the art of a Creator can help us push aside a lot of that insecurity that's so common in our world today. Hotly Girth's book is out, Hope Your Heart Needs... Seventh topic is simply called guide, Holly. Yeah, I mean, I need a guide. As soon as I get in my car, the first thing I do is turn on that GPS because I can't even get around the corner half the time without having that little voice saying, turn left, turn right. And so it's so reassuring to me that I don't have to go through life without either that either, that God has said, you know what, if you need wisdom, if you need direction, if you need help, You can ask that of me. I will never condemn you for asking me to be your guide. I will gladly go with you wherever it is that life is leading you next. And so that name is just very reassuring to me. So if someone is listening today and thinking, I need a guide, but I don't even know how to go about that. Like, how do I even ask God for guidance? I would say first we go to his word because he's given that as the ultimate guide. Then we can go to godly people we trust that we know listen to the heart of God. And then I think we just listen for that still small voice, set aside time in our life to be quiet. So those are three steps we can take today if we need a guide. But God does promise to be that for us. And I am so glad that I have a spiritual GPS as well as an actual one. (laughs) Uh, Let's um, talk about helper. That's the next topic. Yeah, helper. I think we all need a helper, too, someone who will come alongside us and say, you know, you don't have to carry whatever it is you're facing alone. And I think this especially speaks to those of us who are in busy, busy seasons. And I've 
lived those. I know what it's like. And so when the low feels like it's too much for us to carry, I think it's reassuring to know that God isn't saying, you need to do as much as you can, as fast as you can, as perfectly as you can, or I'm not going to be pleased with you. Instead, he's saying, you know, come to me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, and I will help you carry whatever it is that you have going on in your life. And I think we take that for granted. So maybe an application step for that would be, you know what, God, I'm just going to pause today and I'm going to release everything that is on my plate right now to you. And that doesn't mean that I won't have to keep working hard or moving forward or that there still may be a lot going on, but I can remind my heart that I don't have to do this alone and that God promises to help. Um, number eight is called Helper. I think we just did Helper. Yeah, excuse me. Now, now, I, <laughs> excuse me, I am. That's the next one. I am. Yeah, I am. I love this because it's what God said to Moses when Moses said, who should I say sent me? And God says, I am. And what I love about this is that I believe the name I am tells us that God is always present tense in our lives. I can look back at the past and start being overcome by regret or shame or, you know, guilt. And, or I can look to the future and be overcome by worries about what may happen or the what-ifs that crowd our minds. And when I go to those places, I can feel alone. And I think it's because God is saying, you know what, I'm not living in your past. I am not rushing ahead into the future. I am always present tense. Wherever you are right now is where I am to you. And when you get to those places that you're worrying about in the future, I will be there too. So I think when we find ourselves in either of those cycles, dwelling on the past or worrying about the future, that we can pause and say, okay, the place where God is in my life is right here, right now. And I'm going to take a deep breath and remember that and remind my heart that my past is forgiven, my future is secure, and whatever I face when I get to it, God will be there too. How about Abba? Explain Abba. Abba is another word for dad. And I think in a world where a lot of us have experienced disappointment with dads, it's reassuring to know that our hearts are created for a Heavenly Father who loves us, who is for us, who has promised to never leave us or forsake us, and that whatever our circumstances of coming into this world or our relationship with our earthly dads now, we can know that we have a Heavenly Father who wanted us in this world, who crafted us into being, knit us together in our mother's wombs, who have who has watched over us all the days of our lives and promises to do that until the very end. And so I think that we can rest in the Father love of God. And if we have had wounds from an earthly father, we can bring those to him, knowing he understands that he hurts with us too, because he knows that's not the way it's intended to be. And so you know what, God, there are some ways that I didn't have the Father my heart hoped for, but I believe that you are that father, and I pray that you would come into those tender places, that you would grieve with me, that you would even feel anger with me over some of what's happened, and that you would lead me into forgiveness and healing. And that's not an easy process. I say it like it is. I know that it's not, and that it can take 
years uh, for that to happen. But I think that's the hope that we can have because we have a Heavenly Father who invites us to call him Abba, which means dearest daddy. Now tell us about friend. And friend, we all need a, a friend in this life too. We are a culture that is more connected and disconnected at the same time than ever before. Research shows that loneliness is increasing, that half of Americans have one or fewer people in their life that they can confide in about important things. And so I think our hearts just need a friend more than ever before. And it's amazing to me that God says, I will be a friend to you. And I think a friend is someone who supports you, who walks with you, who has your back, who is willing to be there in the highs of life to celebrate with you, who's willing to be there in the lows of life to grieve and process disappointments as well. And so someone is listening today and they're thinking, you know what? I feel alone. I feel lonely. I wish I had a friend. I think that we can trust and know that Jesus is saying, I am ready and willing to be that friend. And he loves us through other people too, but it's good to know that he himself has also said, I will be your friend. Holly Gerth is our guest. She's in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Best-selling author, certified life coach, a speaker. Uh, we're talking about her book, Hope Your Heart Needs, 52 Encouraging Reminders of How God Cares for You. When we return after these messages, uh, the next topic for Holly is simply called Shepherd. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Author Holly Girth is our guest. As advertised, Holly, I want you to talk about Shepherd. <laughs> Shepherd is the name of God we're probably familiar with. Many of us know the 23rd Psalm, but I wanted to dig deeper into what it meant for God to be our shepherd. And one interesting thing I found in actually reading a book about raising sheep is that when a sheep is sick, it doesn't wander off. It goes into the middle of the herd and pretends everything is fine. And so the book said to shepherds, those are the sheep you need to look for. Look for the ones who are in the middle of the herd pretending everything is fine. And that was so beautiful to me because I think that's what Jesus does for us. But yes, he goes and gets the rebel sheep who leaves the 99. But I think he is also the one who sees us when we are in the middle of the herd saying we're fine and deep down we're not. So if someone is listening today and they've been putting on a smile and trying to pretend they're okay and wishing that someone would notice that they're actually not, I think the promise of Jesus is, I see you. I see your hurts. I see your struggles. I see your disappointments. I see you pass the smile to your heart, and I am coming for you. I'm coming for you in that place where you're pretending everything it's fine, and I'm saying to you today, right now, right here, I love you, I'm for you, you're mine, and I'm going to take care of you. And I think that is such a beautiful thing to know, that we are sheep who have a shepherd who relentlessly pursues us. And Holly, that leads to the next word. It's simply called comforter. Yeah, and sometimes we are beyond pretending We are fine. We are grieving and broken and hurting, 
And I think it's a beautiful thing that God is our comforter. Comforter, And the verse actually says that He will comfort us in all our troubles, all of them. So I think there are times in my life when I'm hurting that I tell myself, you know what, there, there are worse things going on in the world, or I should be over this by now, or why am I making a big deal of this? I'm too blessed to be stressed, <laughs> all those things we say to ourselves. But God says, no exceptions, no qualifications. You can come to me for comfort, whatever your heart is aching over today. So again, if someone's listening and they've had a disappointment at work, if they've had a death of someone they love, if they've had a hard diagnosis, if they have a prodigal child, if their marriage is struggling, if they just don't feel good today, all of that we can bring to God and know He says, I will be your comforter. And I think the example Jesus gives us, like when He wept at the tomb of Lazarus, even though he knew he would resurrect Lazarus in a few minutes, is that we are allowed to cry. We are allowed to feel frustrated. We are allowed to have days when we're just not okay. God is not looking at us and saying, you know what, hold it together. He is saying, come to me and I will hold you. And that is the promise of our comforter. Tell us about encourager encourager and then he doesn't leave us in that sad place which is good news you know he says i will agree with you for as long as you need to but you know what i will not only sit with you when you are down i will take you by the hand and i will lift you back up to you and to me it's extraordinary that god says i will be your encourager i will speak life into you. I think so many times we can hear things in our mind like, you're not trying hard enough, or you failed, or you're not living up to these expectations or standards. And we can even think, maybe that's God. You know, maybe maybe that's Him telling me, I'm just not doing a good enough job at being a Christian, or a wife, or husband, or mom, or dad, or friend. But no, God is the voice in our minds and our hearts saying, Remember who you truly are. You are my child. You are beloved. You are chosen. You are cherished. You are put in this world for a purpose. You are a part of my plan. I'm going to equip you with everything you need to follow my will for your life. Keep going. Don't give up. You are going to get through this. That is the voice of our encourager. And so when we hear those lies, we can say, you know what? This isn't from my encourager. This is from my enemy. And I'm going to reject those lies, and I'm going to listen to the truth instead. But I think that is a powerful thing when we say, you know what? I'm not going to embrace those lies. I'm going to embrace the truth instead. And I'm going to look to my encourager to keep telling my heart what I need to hear today. Holly Girth is with us from Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're talking about her book, Hope, Hope Your Heart Needs. All Sufficient is next, Holly. Yeah, All Sufficient. It means God lacks nothing, which is miraculous to me and really good news because I'm very aware of what I lack. You know, we all are imperfect, limited humans. We live in an imperfect, limited world, and that can be a frustrating experience at times. 
But the great news is we have access to a God who is all-sufficient, who lives within us and who promises, as we've talked about before, to provide our every need. And so when we feel inadequate, when we feel insufficient, when we worry that we're not enough, we can go to Him and say, you know what? I am human, but you are God. You spoke the world into being. You don't have trouble with your to-do list. You never run out of resources. You have everything I need and more to face whatever is going on in my life. And so I think we can sometimes just lose that perspective and think that it's all up to us. And so I think the reassurance of that name is remembering it's not all up to me. I can bring what I need to my all-sufficient God today. So if someone is listening and feeling the pressure of, lack in their life in whatever area, professional, personal, relationships, finances, I think that we can go to God and say, be all sufficient. And you know, that doesn't mean that we are going to get everything we want, but we can trust that God will provide what is very best for us and what we need because he is all sufficient. The next topic, uh, Holly, is simply called keeper. Yeah, keeper. God is our keeper, which means that he is able to get us through this life. You know, we deal with a lot of fear and anxiety. Some people even call this the age of anxiety. And we worry a lot about what could happen to us or how things are all going to turn out. And God doesn't promise us safety in this world. Even Jesus experienced the cross. But he does promise us security in that deeper, soul-reassuring, eternal way that we all long for most because he is our keeper. And so we can go to him in the moments when we might see a new story or we might go to the doctor and hear hard news or we might be concerned about a teenage child or daughter who has missed their curfew. And we can say, God, this world is uncertain but you are my keeper, and I entrust myself and my life and the people I love to you, and I choose worship over worry. And I think that's a choice we don't make once, because those fears come back again and again. But it's reassuring to know that there's a place we can go, even more than a place we can go. We can go to a person who has said, I will be your keeper, and I will get you through this life, and I will get you home to me, no matter what happens. Holly, tell us about dwelling place. And that's very similar. God says, I'm your dwelling place. In other words, I am your home. And I think we can feel a little lost in this world sometimes, too, that just maybe we don't feel like we fully belong. Maybe our hearts long for that true home. Maybe we are in a job where we have to move a lot or where our relationships just seem to come and go or we are a student or in a place of life where there's not a lot of physical continuity for us, where we long for a true home. And God says, I will be that. I will be your dwelling place now and forever. And so when I think about home, I think about welcome. I think about, as I just said, security, a place where you're known and loved and cared for. 
And so wherever we are physically today, whether we're listening in a cubicle or we're driving down the highway or we're sitting in our living room, if we're in an apartment or a mansion or wherever it is, I think we can pause and close our eyes and say, okay, wherever my body is right now, my heart's true home is. Ollie Gerth has been our guest. We've got to wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. <clears throat> this is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Folks, thanks for listening here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, Brent Crow is our guest in the first segment, uh, talking about his new book on the Apostle Paul, Moments Till Midnight. And then Holly Gerth joined us from Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, her book, Hope Your Heart Needs, 52 Encouraging Reminders of How God Cares for You. Uh, please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com, uh, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And uh, my most recent book is called Coach Wooden's Forgotten Team. As we take a look at Coach Wooden in the summertime in L.A., uh, coaching uh, his young players at his camps, uh, gives you a whole new look at uh, the great coaching wizard of Westwood, John Wooden. Uh, We're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. Have a great week ahead. Way to go. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 